Our hearts are hungry for God's healing and for God's grace. If you have a Bible, you can uh, open up to Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. We'll be there just a sec. But we ask the question as we approach the New Testament, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus rest in the storm? You know, when Jesus was tempted, he always said no to temptation. And when Satan opposed him, he always stood steadfast. And when critics came against him, he didn't wilt. But when the storm came up, he rested. He was trusting. How did we, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus know what to say, what to do without denying his emotions? We serve a God who wept at a very dear friend's grave and grieved the loss. Travis, to me, was a man who fought a good fight and who kept the faith and who finished the race. It says about Jesus that Jesus grew from his childhood into his young manhood. You know, it takes time to grow and become strong. It takes time and trials. It takes truth and love to grow strong. And I so want you to grow strong in your faith. I want you to be able to withstand temptations and endure criticism and overcome storms. It says that Jesus was filled with wisdom. We're looking now at this progression of faith. And the first step we come to in faith progression is that of being spiritually dead. We would say that a person who doesn't believe in God is an atheist or one who questions his existence. In unbelief, there's often a lot of anger toward God and toward Christians. We want to see people move from unbelief to faith. So what does it take for an unbeliever to move? Well, they need a relationship with a mature Christian. They need a picture of the real Jesus uh, lived out in front of them. They need answers to life's questions, and they'll have many. They need an explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and an invitation to believe. Once a person moves from spiritual death to spiritual life, they are in the infant stage. Now, that's the second stage of uh, the spiritual development. An infant is ignorant of what they need spiritually, but they do need individual attention from a spiritual parent. They don't know how to feed themselves or how to clothe themselves or how to take care of the mess. So the spiritually mature person comes beside the infant to give them personal attention protection and care, to explain the Word of God to them and develop some of the habits of being a believer. We talked last week about the spiritual stage three of childhood. This is where a person is pretty much self-centered and idealistic. I mentioned to you that uh, I was traveling with Debbie in Arizona, and Debbie was the driver, and I got to be the uh, passenger, the sort of the shotgun. And Debbie kept asking me for stuff that required me to go into her purse, like, can you get my sunglasses? I can't drive without my sunglasses. Can you get my lip balm? Can you get my cell phone? It was ringing, you know. And um, I think I failed the test because I, <laughs> I had a sudden realization. I was kind of living in childhood. So I had a second chance this week. Monday, Debbie and I had a four-hour meeting. And Debbie says, I want to drive. And I said, sure. But here's a file. Would you explain this to me? And um, I think your pastor is moving out of childhood now, so you can be happy for that, that I was able to sort of step into that role of sort of supplying what she needed. This morning, we want to look at the time we have at the spiritual young adult, which is the fourth phase 
of spiritual development. In this phase, a person becomes pretty action, service-oriented, pretty zealous. They're becoming God-centered and others-centered. They're sensing a mission upon their life. They're looking for a place to serve. They realize that they're part of his church. They're his church, and they're on mission for God. But what they need in this stage is someone to debrief them, to explain to them more about ministry, help them set a boundaries and guidance in their life, and to navigate tough situations. So in this movement from childhood to young adult, I've chosen a text in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35 and following, story of Jesus in a storm. You'll turn there with me to Mark 4, 35. The scripture reads that that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Let me uh, ask parenthetically, have you ever had a day that you just were glad it was over? I mean, you've been working from sunup to sundown, dealing with complex complicated situations, perhaps struggling with sickness all day, looking forward to going home and having a cup of tea and maybe some NyQuil and getting knocked out. Well, Jesus, Jesus here had been teaching all day long, and people were trying to get close to him. They were needing a word from God. They were needing a healing. I can tell you that Jesus in his humanity was exhausted and worn out and spent. So the scripture says, and then the evening came, and he said to his, do you see it? He said to his disciples, right? So we're on this journey of discipleship. He said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. He was sensing that his disciples needed a rest, that the crowds were wearing them out, that Jesus himself was sensing his own exhaustion, to get away from the crowds and to have a little breather. Dallas Willard, who is now with the Lord, who is um, one of my heroes, said, it is impossible to live the Christian life without solitude and silence. I cannot tell you how many times in my quiet time with the Lord I have surrendered complicated, complex situations. I love my quiet time with God. Just being silent and solitude early in the morning when practically nobody can mess with me. Just being there with God and letting God speak into my soul. And I crave for each one of you to have a quiet time also with God. Some silence and some solitude where God can speak into your life, where you can unburden your own heart. It says in verse 36 that leaving the crowd behind, they, the disciples, took him, Jesus, along just as he was in the boat. Now, I'd like to make a few comments here. Jesus thus far has called Peter and Andrew, James and John, to be his disciples, to follow him. And they made a decision to follow Jesus. And they left behind their fishing boats and fishing buddies and fishing business to follow Jesus. Thus far with Jesus, they've heard him proclaim some powerful sermons. They have seen him teaching beside the lake. They've seen him healing people of diseases, casting out demons. But Jesus would warn them that in this world, you will face 
tribulation, and troubles. We sometimes hear, you know, come to Jesus Christ and you will receive eternal life and then go to heaven. But we forget to teach the middle part where there are the troubles and tribulations and difficulties of how to get through them. The disciples are about to go through a trial. There is nothing they have done that's wrong. The trial is not meant to punish them for something they have done wrong. This trial is meant to make their faith grow strong for them to become more mature, to be transformed by an experience on a lake. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I want to teach you, the first lesson is that the trials often happen in this world on the heels of obedience. Jesus said, follow me, and they followed. Now Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. And now they're about to step into a trial, even though they're walking in obedience to a command of Jesus. What I'm trying to say is, you don't get a free pass. Nobody gets exempted from the problems of this life. Nobody sort of gets to run through this life problem free. Now we come to what I call the first problem of the story. There are two problems in the story, primary. There's a physical problem and a spiritual problem. So let's begin with the first problem. The first problem with the story is that there is a raging storm. They start out on a journey and a great storm comes up. These are men of the sea. Now, Matthew wasn't a man of the sea, but the two brothers, James and John, Andrew and Peter, were men of the sea, and they knew what it meant to ride out the storm. The sea they knew they felt strongest at sea. Now, I myself have been to the Sea of Galilee. It is absolutely beautiful, the sea with the mountains all around it. And uh, I went out onto the sea with Debbie on a clear, beautiful day. The sea was calm. Um, and then this storm, believe it or not, came up. The sky got dark. The waves had white caps. The winds began blowing. I was very happy to get off that sea. I can think about Matthew, you know, this tax collector going, like, what did I get myself into? Well, I think the disciples were thinking that since Jesus was along, this would be a calm midnight cruise. And suddenly this unexpected storm comes up and the sea is thrown into chaos and the wind is blowing like a hurricane and the waves are slapping against the boat and the seawater is spilling into the boat. Now that in itself is indicative of what happens to us in life. In an instant, our world is turned upside down. We get something we didn't expect. We find ourselves someplace we didn't sign up for. Hey, I didn't sign up for this. We find ourselves in very difficult circumstances. Now this morning, you yourself may be in very difficult circumstances. But the second problem with the story is a bigger problem. It is a spiritual problem. What you see in the boat is a resting savior. I mean, Jesus is taking a nap. I mean, the sea is roaring and Jesus is snoring. 
The sea is slapping and Jesus is napping. Now, I want to tell you that the heart of storytelling is always tension, the tension in the story. This tension, you know, when you're watching a movie is that knot you feel in your stomach. It's when you eat the most popcorn. You don't know how this is going to turn out, right? And so nobody in this story knows how this is going to turn out. The conflict isn't primarily the storm. The conflict in the story is Jesus sleeping in the storm. The disciples felt like they were going down. They felt like they weren't going to make it. Jesus seemed disengaged from their problem. He seemed disinterested in their stress. Now, every person in this room can identify with unexpected storms. Our problem is Jesus seems asleep. You know, you're cruising along in life, and a major storm rolls in, and you're dealing with chaos all around you, and you feel overwhelmed and anxious like you're drowning. It could be a major conflict with your children. It could be a disintegration of a relationship. It could be a diagnosis of an illness. It could be the treatment for an illness. It could be a loss of somebody you love very dearly. It could be the end of an employment that you enjoyed. The point is, you find yourself in chaos, and Jesus seems disengaged from your situation Jesus seems disinterested in your plight. So here's the second major lesson of the story. The real storm wasn't going on outside. The real storm was happening inside their hearts. Let me do that one more time. We get focused on the outside, on the circumstances, the situations of our life. We become so focused on what's happening out there that we sort of ignore what's happening inside of here. And what's happening inside of here is a lot of anxiety and stress and worry. And that's exactly what the disciples were feeling. The spiritual problem is the same as our spiritual problem. Jesus isn't doing what we think Jesus should be doing. To be honest with you, in regards to Travis... I prayed for a long time for God to heal him. I know many of you joined me in that prayer. The last time I saw Travis, I was at University of Maryland Hospital. And he had been there for a little while, and he was so looking forward to going home. Going home to see his wife and his children. Going home to cook, you know, something on his stove. He was so looking forward to going home. And God did take him home. But God's plan was very different from my plan. You see, our big problem is we have storms and chaos and we feel powerless and we know that God is all-powerful, but it seems as if God is napping. You see, the disciples certainly entertained the idea that Jesus is the Messiah, but now they're drowning in a boat because of a storm and it doesn't seem to fit. Shouldn't he be helping us? Shouldn't he be intervening here? Shouldn't he be rescuing us? Shouldn't he be not putting us through this? Jesus, you're not acting like I think you should be acting. They're 
reaction was frustration with Jesus. And they gave a strong rebuke to Jesus. Literally, Jesus, we're drowning. What do you care? You're not acting like you should be acting. Hello, we're your disciples. We're on your side. Are you on our side? Jesus, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. They look at him sleeping, and they believe that God is passive, and it evolved into an anger at God. Now, we understand what it means to get angry at God, right? Frustrated with God. It's my life isn't like I planned it to be. And our big problem is fear, thinking we're going to drown. We have this desire to be in control of our lives. We forget that God is absolutely in control, but we get panicky, stressed out in our circumstances. Now, if I had one word to describe Jesus, I would use the word relaxed. I mean, to sleep in the middle of storms, pretty relaxed. Trusting in the care of his heavenly Father. He knew they would get to the other side. He knew the storm wasn't going to last forever. He knew he had power over the storm. And he knew the disciples had lessons they had to learn. Now, I want you to turn to somebody now and say, the storm's not going to last forever. Now, that's a good word. It ain't going to last forever. But I find that there's four different reactions we have to storms. You've heard of the flight fight syndrome? Well, I believe there's four options you got when it comes to storms. The first is to fight. I'm going to fight this thing to the very end. With every last breath of my life, I'm going to fight. I'm not going down without a fight. I'm going to fight this thing out. Some of you here are fighters. And Travis was a fighter. He was a warrior. He was going to battle this thing to the end. The second response is to flee or to flight. I'm going to run now for my life. I don't want to deal with this thing. I don't want to think about this thing. I want to get out of town. I mean, I just want to get as far away from this problem as I can get away from it. Now, be careful here, because sometimes what happens is we run a little too soon. You know what I mean? We can quit on something too soon. The marriage has issues, and we quit on the marriage. We have troubles at work, and we quit at our work. There's a relationship with a strain, and we kind of give up on the relationship. So be careful with the whole flight syndrome. And then there is the fright syndrome. I'm going to freak out. (laughs) When in trouble or in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. That's the motto here. I'm just going to freak out and kind (laughs) of go into a panic, you know, a hissy fit, because I'm just freaking out about this situation. The third is, a fourth is, you can have faith. I'm going to trust God in the midst of this situation. You know, when I was a brand new believer, a godly saint, her name was Margaret, I just suffered a great loss, and she said, Ar, there's only one verse in the entire Bible you need to learn. I said, it's a pretty big Bible, I don't know it yet. She said, there's only one verse. And I said, what's the verse? She said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And the longer I live, I believe the key verse in the entire Bible is trust in the Lord with all of your heart. 
to every person here who has been terrified by something. I want you to know that God understands. I want you to know that I recently passed through a terrifying experience involving surgery and having surgery again and having a major infection. I want to tell you, I didn't even know where I was. I surely didn't know the way out of the woods. I didn't know my own future. It was a journey into absolute, total trust of God that though I don't know what He's doing, He knows what He's doing. Though I don't understand, I'm going to trust the one who understands. So if you're dealing with something that's traumatic and you feel hypervigilant or you feel as if all the switches are turned on or you have trouble sleeping or you have trouble with flashbacks to the past, I know something of what you're dealing with. It's deep anxiety in your soul from a traumatic experience. Verse 39, and Jesus got up. Now the WWF fight is about to begin between Jesus dead tired and a storm pretty alive. The match doesn't take long to resolve. It's over in the first round because Jesus spoke to the cause of the situation. He rebuked the winds, the winds that were swirling around the boat and to the chaos they created. Jesus rebuked the wind. It is a mystery to us, this spiritual war between God and Satan, that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundant. But the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. And the enemy is the cause of this situation. He's making the winds blow like a hurricane. He's creating chaos and instilling fear. But Jesus has power over the enemy. And he said to the waves, be quiet, be still. And I cannot tell you how many times in my own terrifying situation, I asked Jesus to make it still for the winds to stop blowing, to simply be quiet. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus knows that either we will live our lives by fear. Now, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. We will live our lives by fear. Fear will push into our lives. Or we'll live our lives by faith and the promises of God, experiencing the presence of God and the peace of God. And the more faith you have, the more relaxed you can be. Because my God is bigger than the storm. And my God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. And my God's going to strengthen me and my God's going to help me, and my storm isn't going to last forever, and I know I'm going to get over to the other side. You see, there was a time when I lived my life in unbelief, and I felt so abandoned, so alone, so much so I had to fight in my own strength, and I wondered, where are you, God? Because I felt so abandoned, so alone. And then I became a believer. In my unbelief stage, what I felt then was, or my infancy stage, I felt as if there that every time a storm came in my life, God was punishing me. Okay, God, what have I done now? What are you making even? You see, that was a false belief because God does not punish his own. God put the punishment, the wrath on his son. He doesn't have to punish us 
by our life's circumstances. And then I became a child, a child in the faith. And I believed that all these mysteries would be made known to me. When I asked why, I would know why. When I asked how long, I would know how long. When I asked how come, God would tell me why. But now I live with mysteries. And here's what I know. I may not understand everything, but I trust the one who understands it all. I can put my faith in a faithful God. I can rely upon a reliable God. And the central issue here is, do I have faith? You see, James says it this way. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Say what? When you encounter various trials. Because the testing of your faith produces endurance. You say, Pastor R, what is endurance? Endurance means by the grace of God, I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to persevere. By the grace of God, I'm not going to quit. By the grace of God, I'm not going to recant my faith. By the grace of God, I believe I'm going to cross over to the other side. By the grace of God, I believe someday the storm's going to be over. You see, we persevere because perseverance may, must produce its work that you may become mature and complete. The journey from childhood to young adult kind of faith is to persevere through those trials in your life. Now, how many here want to be like Jesus? How many here want to go through trials? It's the same question. You see, to become like Jesus, you have to go through trials. There is no other way to become mature. I mean, how many here want to be healthy? How many want to eat right? No Krispy Kremes. How many want to be physically fit like Ahmad? How many want to work out? You see, <laughs> okay, so what I'm trying to say to you is this. The disciples were put into a trial. You've been put into trials. You say, Pastor R, what do you think the percentage of possibility that I will experience a trial is? I would say it's a hundred percent possibility, probability, that you yourself will go through a trial. Surely Nicole and her family are passing through a trial right now. Now, what Jesus did was he stilled those winds, he calmed those seas. And they said, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Listen, if the winds and the waves obey Jesus, who has authority over the winds and waves, then shouldn't we obey Jesus? If he has authority over sickness, if he has authority over disease, if he has authority over death, if he has authority over sin, if he has authority over all things, then shouldn't he have authority in our lives? Shouldn't we yield ourselves to him, surrender our situation to him, and ask, Lord, what do you want to teach me in the midst of this trial? How do you want to grow my faith? How can I trust you right now? See, therein is the issue of growing up in our faith, of trusting him in the trial you're sailing through right now. We first of all need to praise him. 
that He's the God of the universe over all things. We sometimes fix our attention on the waves, but don't look above the waves to Him who is above the waves, namely Jesus. And we need to yield and surrender ourselves to Him, yielding that situation we're in to His keeping. And then believe that God is at work in that situation, and He's going to resolve the tension, and He's going to show His hand and His goodness to us, that God is good no matter what we're facing. So I'd like to pray now, could I? Father in heaven, as we uh, sit here this morning, we do know for certain that a family is passing through a great crisis, the loss of their dad and their husband. We know that their heart is breaking, and our heart is breaking for them because, Lord, we so prayed and hoped that Travis would be made better. He so wanted to go home, and now, Lord, he is home. So we do pray your comfort and your peace, your hope upon this family. But they are not the only one passing through a trial. All around this room are people in the midst of a trial, a difficulty, a problem. And Lord, we keep our eyes so fixed upon the circumstances that sometimes we don't look into the face of Jesus to Him who's above the circumstances to realize He's sovereign and all-powerful with all authority to yield ourselves to You to say, Lord, what do You want to teach me? How can I trust You in the midst of this situation? To believe with all our heart that God, You are good even when life seems to be falling apart in chaos. So Lord, I pray for a measure of faith for our people. To them to receive and encounter trials as testings of their faith, wherein you're producing maturity and helping them to grow up. Father, I pray your peace over every household and help us to speak words of peace into other people living in chaos. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a great place to come if you want to pray for someone going through a trial. If you yourself are in a trial, we want you to feel the freedom to come. We've got a great song for you now. It's called Oceans. Great worship song about keeping our eyes fixed upon Jesus, about letting our faith grow strong. If you want to come, you can come. Would you stand with us, please?